0: Happy guys, happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you guys are having a great week coming up on today's show. I'll continue the conversation around MMA judging and I'll also talk about a big fight that's coming up in the middleweight division. Plus, might Hosmet Chimaev be getting a title shot soon. That's all coming up later in the show. But first, let's begin with this. This Islam versus Charles, Connor versus Charles, Benny DeRouche versus Charles, or any of the four that I just named Mrs versus each other, is oddly quiet. I mean, nobody's saying anything about it. If Connor's going to come to 155, it's an extremely relevant fact. If that is in fact what we're going to do, that's the one that we're going to find out last. Connor does not like to give information. He likes to be begged and asked questions, which is why he doesn't give the information. There's nothing left to talk about. Fine. You would think that Charles would speak up just a little bit. Steering his own career would be a very wise thing to do, but historically speaking, that's not something Charles has done a great job of. Now, Islam, who I believe is being looked at to being pulled out of the Darush fight, and placed into a title fight. You would think you would hear more from Islam. Islam's also notoriously quiet. He probably believes in something like the laws of attraction. He's probably got his fingers crossed somewhere. He probably somewhere doesn't want to jinx it. And then you've got Darush, and Darush has spoken up. It wasn't overly compelling, but he gave it his best shot. Darush did speak up. He talked about, here's what my record is. Here's how beautiful it's been. Here's all the promises that it made for me. Here's what happened to everybody else that did anything that resembled the level of success that I have had. I thought it was fair. I thought it was very wise. There was nothing wrong with Darouche saying, hey, I'm not the one just standing over here. The problem that Darush has and the whole reason we ended up in this musical chairs of who's going to be next for Charles in the first place is because of a rumor put out by Darush himself that says he's not ready to fight. If that is a misquote or a misstatement, then good for Charles, uh, good for Benny for setting that record straight. But he hasn't done that yet, so I don't think that he is eligible. And I think that it does appear to be what's going to happen with Islam and what's going to be happening with Oliveira. But the people talking, like Gilbert Burns comes to mind. Right before I started speaking to you guys, I was reading a piece that Gilbert Burns did talking about the very specific fight of Charles Oliveira versus Islam Akhachev. And Burns took the side of Oliver. said he hits too hard. His punches are just too good. The jujitsu is too clean, it's too clever, but we're never gonna have to get there in the first place, he's gonna end it with his hands. Fine, he might be right, he might not be right, but that's a very meaningful character in the possible players of the sport of mixed martial arts who has earned the right to an opinion and he's offered his. I offered to, to you guys mine, which is I'm not down to an X's and O's in who could beat one or the other. But I do find it very fascinating if we have a chance to bring in high-level Jiu-Jitsu against high-level Sambo. For me, that's interesting. And I do know that the Jiu-Jitsu community, as a community, has been very scared to do that. I don't know why. I think Jiu-Jitsu wins. I don't think Sambo's real. I never have. I think there's a reason that you can't get a scholarship in Sambo. I think there's a reason if you go and attend an Olympic Games, they're not going to have a Sambo village. I don't think it's very real, but we got a part of the world headlined by Khabib and a whole bunch of badasses out of Dagestan that say that I'm wrong. And I do acknowledge that the jiu-jitsu community is very scared to find that out. I can remember the first Abu Dhabi that I attended. It was in 2001, and it was in actual Abu Dhabi. It was nothing but a group of jiu-jitsu guys. They slipped one wrestler in there named Mark Kerr, who had a purple belt in jujitsu, but he had a good look. He's a great big guy and he fought a couple of times on television. Mark Kerr ends up beating all of them and making them all look foolish. But then they also inserted one Sambo guy. The one Sambo guy, whose name I cannot produce for you because I never even knew it at the time, was 39 years old. Now, I get that 39, you're just getting into the sport. Now, 39 years old in the year 2001, we all called him grandpa. He was the oldest guy there. But he was like a six degree something Dan in... Sambo, and it was like Jiu-Jitsu's way who organized Abu Dhabi of saying, look, we're better than everything, including Sambo, was really weird. It's like, well, if you really believe that or you thought there was a threat there, you'd have brought in a 29-year-old Sambo star. So all I could tell you is the phenomenon is very real, that there is Jiu-Jitsu at the highest of levels, including our leadership, that do see a fear within Sambo. I don't see it. You grab a guy, he's got a jacket, take the jacket off, what are you going to do? I, I don't personally see it. But that doesn't make me right. That doesn't mean that I wouldn't want to see that contested. If Oliveira is for sure representing jiu-jitsu, and if Islam is for sure likely, based on all of his previous fights, to get this fight to the ground, and he wants to represent Sambo for me, that's interesting. It really is. I don't know if that's a selling feature for you guys. I don't know that that's the hottest thing about the fight. But it is really interesting to me. And when you take somebody like Gilbert Burns, and he talked about it's going to end on the feet, what, what a great striker Charles is and what great punches he has. I, I do agree with that. Not that it would end on the feet, but I do agree that you do turn back to that. I've told you guys a million times. If you take a good boxer against an equally good boxer, but the, good bo- the other good boxer can wrestle, it will change the entire match because it is not the takedown. It is the threat of the takedown psychologically knowing your opponent has a weapon that you're not sure you can match. I mean, it's the art of war 101. If you ever want to back an opponent down, you need to make him believe that you have a weapon that he cannot match. And it's an interesting thing. And if Charles was good enough with the takedown defense, if he could make Islam truly believe, don't waste the energy taking me down because you're not going to get me there. I'm too good with the defense. That would change the fight. It would change the realm of the fight if he could get that done. But by what Gilbert Burns is saying, forget about the grappling and forget about whether we respect Sambo too much or forget about whether jiu-jitsu is dominant. It's going to be stopped right here on the feet. That's compelling to me. That's a compelling match. I don't know why we're not hearing from these guys. I don't know why I'm the only guy talking about it. And then representatives of Islam talk about the fight. Representatives of Charles talk about the fight. I don't hear Charles talking about the fight. I don't hear Islam talk about the fight. I hear Benny speaking up saying, you better not do that fight because I'm promised my fight with you, Islam, which I plan to win to get me into the fight with Charles. I I don't know. It's not quite enough. And maybe when they all get done screaming, maybe one of the hesitations that they have why they don't want to be heard, why they don't want to put those aces on the tables is they're afraid that Connor's going to swoop in and take it all, all away anyway. It's a little bit of a perplexing spot at 155 pounds, but there's a job, there's a job opening. If you're going to apply for the job, fill out your resume, raise your hand, and speak the hell up. So in his last fight, Islam Makhachev faced Bobby Green. And I heard Bobby Green say something that caught my attention, and I want to make sure that you heard it too. Bobby Green just went back on Joe Rogan. And I'm telling you guys, they went back on Joe Rogan because you go, yes, Bobby Green did Joe Rogan. jail. welcome to a year ago. Yeah, I got th- He just went, he went back on Joe Rogan. And Bobby Green went on with his own coach. And it was a great interview. And by the way, Bobby Green's coach is this fascinating guy. I don't want to spoil that for you. I I trust most of you uh, listen to Joe Rogan. I don't want to ruin this bit, but Bobby Green talked about Peter Yan and Fitzayev specifically, said that both of these guys use steroids, said that they go to Thailand and they can buy it right over the counter. And that USADA, they never, they always get away with it because USADA is just that, it's the United States anti-doping agency. They don't go there and they don't catch them. Now, I'm close enough and don't think that you have to correct me because I'm not looking to make an overarching point here anyway. I'm just having a discussion. That's a fascinating statement. To name a UFC champion and another uh, UFC hammer and associate them specifically to steroids and even say moreover where they got them and the fact that they're able to get through this because USADA is U.S that they don't go into other countries. So I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. And I go, okay, here, let me let me just disprove that. Let me disprove what Bobby Green is saying by simply coming up with somebody who tested hot abroad. That's merely with the resources off the top of my head, and I'm stuck. I don't have that person. Now, I could also disprove Bobby's statement if I could just tell you a person who, while abroad, was tested. If I could just come up with somebody who was tested, I will have disproved. I can't do that either. But my problem, I don't ever know when anybody's tested. I don't know if somebody was tested today right next to me. The only time I hear that somebody's tested is if somebody was tested hot. Or if they make the foolish PR move of putting on the USADA jacket, letting them get their picture taken, acting like they're getting patted on the back when really it's they're they're getting told to the world, we think you're dirty and we're still coming. It's one of these very weird things. I don't think that the statement's true. I don't think Because USADA, and yes, the U.S. does stand for United States, I don't think because they're headquartered here that it precludes them from testing people abroad. I don't think that's true, and I've got another big problem with this statement. Now, I'm not saying that Bobby Green's wrong. Chael's eye test will tell you 100% of the time, and there is no part of me that's telling you that what Bobby said is wrong. There's only a few things that work, right? Right? And there's a number of performance enhancers that will do their job in terms of make you bigger, faster, stronger. But there's only a couple of things that you... When I say that will work, there are places in the country where you can go right in over the counter. You can grab them. That's true. But if you ingest that stuff, it's going to stay in your system for a period of time. You would have to have very good products, of which I could limit down to about three, but you would also know how, how to take them. And believe me, when it, by reading the bottle is not going to do it. So even if you procured it and consumed it while somewhere else, you've got to make sure that that clears your system before you get back. And that's just in the vein, the statement that Bobby made is even accurate that USADA can't and or does not leave the country, which I don't think is true. I just can't prove it. I just can't cite for you an example off the top of my head, but I don't think it's right. I want to say that I've heard of times, one of my favorites ever, one of my favorite dodging of the system that was right there in front of everybody's eyes took place in a foreign country. So I don't think that that's accurate. And I had somebody suggest to me, well, couldn't they work, couldn't USADA work with a counterpart? If they were in Thailand, couldn't they work with the Thailand anti association? And no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Chain of command is of the utmost importance. Who went and collected that sample, where that sample sat the entire time that it was returned to the United States of America and tested at either the lab on the campus of UCLA or in Salt Lake City would be paramount To a defense, if somebody was to push back. Now I just, I want to go back to Bobby's statement. That is very interesting. He outed a UFC champion and a former opponent. Do we chalk this up to sour grapes? I mean, those, those are slanderous statements. He's citing where and how they got them. I'll just share with you. It's not enough. That's rumor. It's a rumor. I don't know what all of the rules are in Thailand. I know Mexico is, is very close to that. I know a number of the guys that go across the border. sometimes they get their hand on real stuff, and some, sometimes they do not. And that's even at a pharmacy window. That's even paying full rate and getting the box that looks like it's shipped up in professional. Sometimes that stuff is real, and sometimes it's not. But generally, when you go through that process, I mean, you've got to be extremely careful even if you were to get your hands on what I'll call the good stuff, even if you were to get your hands on the good stuff to make sure that that was not tainted and more overly to make sure that you took that in a fashion that got out of your system before you got in an airplane and before you went somewhere else where for sure the United States anti doping Agency does exist, particularly if you're under the scope and the umbrella of that of which a champion would have to go through. It's a big claim. It's interesting. It got my attention. I can't co-sign it. I can't say that that's, that's accurate. There are different countries where you can, over the country, get things that here within America, you would need a prescription for. And those are not just performance enhancing. They're performance enhancing on otherwise. But to know what it is, to know that it's safe, to know how to take it and make sure that it's going to clear your system, there's a lot to that. I'm not. I'm not giving an answer on this. I'm more asking a question. Is there any accuracy... To the statement, the United States Anti-Doping Agency only operates within America. I don't think so, But, but in order for me to disprove that instantly to you without further research, I would just have to be able to recall a name of somebody that was hot due to that agency that was abroad. I can't do that either. Not off the top of my head. I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet the statement is not correct. But I can't off the top of my head disprove it. Do you have an example? Can you smarten me up? Staying with the subject of performance enhancing drugs in MMA. Coming up next, we're going to talk about TJ Dillashaw and if he deserves a bantamweight title shot. That's in a moment, but first, let me tell you about today's sponsors. As the weather gets warmer, Factor can help you spend less time at home, in the kitchen, and more time enjoying the warm spring weather with no cooking, grocery shopping, or dishes. Plus, they have the perfect health-conscious grab-and-go add-ons like smoothies and juices. Factor makes it easy. For my family to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen prepared meals that are delicious, you wouldn't believe that they're actually good for you. My family and I are always on the go. Between school pickup lines, gymnastics practice, traveling for work, and hanging out here with you guys. Factor saves us time by delivering chef-crafted meals to our doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, not to mention cleanup. No dishes to wash here. These meals have been a huge help for my wife and I. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering and it's healthier. Their registered dietitian and expert chefs work hand in hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. They offer vegan and veggie meals, keto meals, low-calorie option, cold-pressed juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Head to go.factor75.com slash chale120 and use code chale120 to get $120 off That's code CHAIL120 at go.factor75.com slash CHAIL120 for $120 off. Have you ever wondered how your favorite athletes and influencers ensure their grooming products are up to task? They use Hawthorne. Steph Curry says, I can't live without their body wash. And me, guys, I love their Fresh Aquatic Work cologne hawthorne is a premium men's grooming brand that makes it quick and easy to be your best with confidence with skin care and hair care made just for you they use data from hundreds of thousands of customers to recommend perfect products for your body chemistry skin type hair type and lifestyle to get started first take hawthorne's quiz they ask things like what's your skin type dry Oily, normal. Are you a scent guy? It was actually really quick and easy, and the recommendations were spot on. My family loves the cologne that was chosen for me so much, not only do I put it on every day, my wife will spray it just to make the bathroom smell better, and my son even insists on putting a squirt on before he goes to school. Elevate your grooming game with Hawthorne's body wash, shampoo, and deodorant. And of course, they perfected the process to find your perfect cologne all to make you sure you truly look and feel your best for whatever comes your way. What's more, Hawthorne stands by their customers. So if you're not completely satisfied, they will retailer your products for free based on your feedback and pay for the shipping. So there is truly no risk. So get ready for whatever comes your way this season by taking Hawthorne's quiz today. Go to hawthorne.co and use the promo code CHALE to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Use the promo code CHALE, Hawthorne dot C-O, promo code CHALE. Should TJ Dillashaw fight for a world championship? Or, moreover, what I'm asking you is, should TJ Dillashaw be disqualified to fighting for a world championship? I mean, that really seems to be a talk, guys. It frustrates me. And in full disclosure, before anybody thinks they need to leave uh, comments, I broke Usada's rules. I tested positive and I was suspended through Usada. Do we all understand that? I mean, just in case there's like any new viewers that think I'm trying to outrun that, is this one cheat defending another maybe that's quite possibly exactly what this is okay are we good are we all good now to have this conversation of course tj dillashaw should be fighting for a world championship and so tj dillashaw wants to reclaim 135 pound championship of which by the way he never lost yeah that's a pretty compelling story do you remember it differently Was it so long ago that you believe the night that Henry Cejudo defeated TJ Dillashaw that they were competing for TJ's belt at 135 pounds? Because they weren't. It was at 125 pounds. As a matter of fact, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who the last 135 pounder to beat TJ Dillashaw is. Now sure, TJ served his suspension and he paid extra heavy, more than most guys. He lost his participation. He lost a world championship. He lost two years of his career. He lost his sponsorship. He lost some fame. Now he doesn't do what we call Google well. But he is back. He did serve all of that. And he is undefeated since he returned. Every part of the story that I've just said is accurate. So, should he fight for a world championship? It would seem so. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be pushback because the failure of the drug test for a fight that was at a different weight class and was X amount of years ago. But the people that are pushing back aren't calling out TJ Dillashaw. I think that's relevant. I really do. And I'm not going to name them by name, but if you're a 135-pounder that's trying to take a spot or an opportunity from TJ Dillashaw, have you, is there anywhere that we can prove that is anywhere verifiable that you have called TJ out? If you want what he's got or you want what he's about to get in the ass whipping business, go take it from him. It's pretty straightforward. If I'm wrong, I'll stand down. If the people that are saying TJ shouldn't get that opportunity and they're, moreover, believe that they should be given the opportunity, did you beat TJ Dillashaw? Did you try to beat TJ Dillashaw? Are you willing to step in there and face TJ Dillashaw? If you are, I'll stand down. I will, I, I will stand down. We can continue to bring that failed drug test back. Because you're not going to find anything else to slow TJ down. You're not going to find a record. You're not going to find a person. You're not going to find a blemish. You're not going to find a 10-9 must system. You're not going to find a knockout, of TK, or a submission. There's no other way that we can stop him. So let's just default to the one and only thing that we have, which is a failed drug test uh, in 2019. No man has beaten him, but a piss test did. And let's, let that piss test continue to hold him back. Is that the argument? Maybe. Maybe he shouldn't be given an opportunity that should go to you. If you've offered to face him. That's the litmus test. Are you willing to face him? Are you willing to go take it from him? If the answer to that is yes, I'll stand down. We can default back to it. But what do you want to do with the current champion who happens to be Aljo? Aljo, it's it's a little bit slim pickings. Not for nothing. It was a big deal when Aljo beat Jan. Not once, but twice. Jan had really separated himself from the pack. You know, don't forget that. Jan had some close matches and they were hard, but for sure he won them. I mean, the San Hagen fight comes to mind. That was an awesome battle, but for sure. No discrepancy, no dispute. Jan did come from behind. He did what was needed to be done. The only point is when Aljo beats Jan, it kind of pushes things back. You've now got the usual suspect. I think that, I think Aldo matters. I think Dominic Cruz, of course, should be looked at. I think DJ Dillashaw. Three champions floating around right there. And I don't see anybody st- stepping up and grabbing a hold of that. I then think with the immersion of, allegedly, Henry Cejudo, I think that you're looking around. And I think you are well, okay, we've got some pretty good options. Let's hear from Sterling. Let's get the champ's opinion. I don't exactly know where Henry is at, in all fairness. And I spent the weekend with Henry. I spoke to Henry and I even said to him, Henry, you know, whatever you say to me, I'm going to go sit down in front of a camera and I'm going to go and tell the whole world. I'm still... <sighs> I'm not perfectly clear. I mean, talking to Cejudo, you would be surprised. I, he did mention Sterling's name for sure. He mentioned Volkanovski's just as much, and this might surprise you. He mentioned Max. And he didn't seem dead set on any one of them. So I'm only suggesting for you at 135 pounds, if you've got Aljamain Sterling, who definitely is going to go out and defend the championship, and you want to go and find the right guy. I like the Aldo talk. I like, I love Cruz talk. I feel as though I'm the one that's really pushing the dominant crews. But I also couldn't deny T.J. Dillashaw. There hasn't been a guy to step in there and beat him. And I feel as though if there is pushback on Dillashaw, or if you feel that that's where the waves are about to go, I don't know that it would behoove you to step up and talk about some kind of a piss test from 2019 as a way of stopping the winds behind T.J. Dillashaw. It would seem as though, in this sport, you should put your skills, your license, and your reputation, put that head-to-head with Dillashaw. That might be a way to stop him, and it might also be the best way to take whatever you think is coming his way. And if we've predetermined, if we've got this notion that he's about to be named the number one contender, but it hasn't happened yet, and you want to stop that train in its tracks, the best way to do it is step in there and beat him, fight him, face him, call out TJ Dillashaw. Switching subjects, now let's talk about Hosmat Chemayev. As usual, there's tons of speculation about who Chemayev will fight next. And because of a holdup in the welterweight title picture, I'm wondering if Chemayev might find himself in the conversation in the very near future. So Chemayev goes to his Instagram and or Twitter. He takes a caption of the UFC world title belt. He then writes 100% next to it. What that does is it leads to immediate speculation over an interim championship. Okay, like I'm in. I'm in, I'm into a riddle. I'm into a rumor. I'm into a riddle and a rumor started by the most interesting guy at 170 pounds who happens to be Chamayo and not for nothing. While I don't believe this in the least, I do know we had fiercely adhere to the rules that we make up on the spot in this sport. And there is something going on with Kamara. I mean, in all fairness, that Kamara fight with Leon, there has never been a fight in history that has been announced. And as many months, as many weeks, as much time has gone by as this one, Leon versus Kamara for a champion where we never got a date. It's just simply never happened before. What do you make of that? Mm, Probably nothing more than Kamara had a bad hand. We for sure know the opportunity goes to Leon. If Kamara can't get out there and fight, we'll just have Leon wait. Like, I don't think there's any conspiracy there. I think it's very blunt and very right in front of us. At the same time, the history of the sport says if the champion can't defend for whatever reason, including injury, that we are eligible now to bring into an interim title. Not to mention, I think that we've got the bodies. I don't know where Colby's at. I think I have a better idea of what's going on with Colby than anybody else, but I'll tell you, I don't even have a clear on Colby. I do believe as it pertains to Colby, until that gets worked out, I mean, it's kind of hand-in-hand, Masvidal. But you look like you've got some really good options right now. I mean, you truly do. The rematch with Burns and Chimayev, yes, please, all day. But are we just acting like we're dismissing Blahal Mohammed? There was a rumor came out. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Perhaps it came from, uh, our good friend Ariel Hawani, but somebody of Ariel's clout had speculated that that coveted ABC spot, that coveted main event that was going to be Jemayaev versus Colby Covington. And also we didn't hear much about it. That spot is now allegedly Korean zombie and Brian Ortega are looking at that. Fine. Don't know if that's true. Don't know if it's not. But the point is still the same, which is it's not set in stone. And Chimaev is not set for that spot. There's always a rumor going around that it's going to be Chimaev versus Nate Diaz. But no matter how many times Nate Diaz says yes, or Chimaev says I'd like to do it, or you get a promoter that says this is the direction we're going, we haven't brought those three together in conjunction with a date. So if you were to look to do an interim championship at 170, who would you look to? I think you would have to look to Chimaev. Can we all agree on that? We know that you could turn to Burns, but we know that you could turn to Blahal Mohammed as well. It seems like a really good problem to have, and I will mention for you, there are some guys that if you're going to get in there with Kamar Usman, coming through the back door and having that golden ticket known as the interim championship might be the fastest track you've got. Chemayev is one fight removed, right? He had the Gilbert Burns fight, but that is only one fight removed from the statement Dana White made that Chemayev is four fights away from being eligible to take on Kamar Usman. Now he got a lot done in that one fight, right? Going out there, having the number three guy in the world, beating him, having it be fight of the night. The MRI fans kicked in, everybody else. I mean, they praised it so much. Maybe that was the one that you needed, but we didn't quite hear about that because we knew Leon was coming up. And we also knew that Chamayev was being rumored to get moved in there with Colby. It's a very hard scenario to think of where Gilbert Burns is going to get a world title fight as long as Kumar Usman is still standing. It can happen. It's possible. But there's a lot of victories and a lot of time. It does seem as though the fastest track. And I don't mean to move Lahal out. I don't really give a damn. Uh, Vincent Luque stubbed his toe one time. So what? Who hasn't? you want the ultimate fast track, if you want the ultimate guarantee, there it is. If, in fact, Shumayev gets his way or possibly has inside information that he wasn't supposed to share, so he thought he would do it in this cute way, thus preserving the information he had while still getting the message out, I don't know what led him to do that. But let's say he's right. He is very likely to be one half of that. We're talking about this this mythical, unstated interim championship match. If we're going to do that, Chemayev is very likely to be one half of that. Who is his opponent going to be? So as you know, Chemayev has fought at middleweight before, and speaking of 185, a big fight in that division looks like it's going to happen this summer. Luke Rockholt and Paulo Costa finally have agreed to fight. Now, what did that look like? What do you suppose that looked like behind the scenes, before the contracts were signed, put in a fax machine, and was alerted to us, the public? I imagine, right, because I'm talking about the weight of Paulo Costa. I love that fight. Paulo Costa, number one contender, no doubt about it. Luke Rockholt, former world champion. There's only two, off the top of my head, there's only two former world champions, Floating around that division. You got Luke, you got Weidman. And now that I've said that, I realize that you've got Whitaker. But my point being, pretty special. Pretty special guy to get aligned with. I could see the hustling and the maneuvering being worth it. The squeeze being worth the juice for Team Paulo Costa to get Luke Rockhold. I'm not sure that Shoes goes on the other foot as well. What does Luke want Paulo for? And he's wanted him. Luke has wanted Paulo Costa for a meaningful period of time. How come? And what does that look like? If you're Luke and you're coming back, Luke's been out for a period of time. This, in some regard, definitely fits the criteria and serves as a comeback fight. There's a lot of things that you need to have just right for your comeback fight. So if you're Luke, you're sitting there with your team, and you know full well, we're signing the contract for 185 pounds, and I know without question my opponent is not going to weigh 185 pounds. What then? Am I good enough just with going through camp? Am I good enough just with the media? That gets me a little further along than I am right here. Am I fully aware that there's no fight between the two of us at the end of this experience? Or am I willing to make concessions? And how far are those concessions? Three pounds? Do you sit down with your team and say, hey, look, don't even bring it to me. When he misses weight, the UFC is going to come to you and ask, am I still willing to do it? Do not even bring it to me if it's three pounds. Don't put that stress on me. Do not provide me with that opportunity to look like a chicken or not. I'm a tough guy. I'm signing the tough guy paper, but I'm telling you in full disclosure, my toughness has a limit and it's plus three over agreed weight. Is it five? Is it seven? Is it 10? What is the number? What is the number that Luke is willing to go through with this anyway? Because Paulo can't make weight. Paulo's not going to make weight. I'm not looking into some crystal ball here. We know as human beings we don't get smaller with time. We know about the work ethic and the training of Paulo Costa. We know that Chael personally has made a very loud and boisterous push to get Paulo out of that division completely and just give him a fresh coat of paint and a new start at 205 pounds. Now if I'm wrong and he pulls down to 185, fine, eat my words, but I'm very comfortable in telling you guys that's not going to happen. The odds makers, if they were to set a line, would back what I'm saying. He's going to miss weight. So how much of a miss still gets Luke to say, to hell with it, let's go on and do it? Marvin Vittori wasn't even offered to be put in that spot. One day before weigh-ins, they drew up a whole new contract and call it a, a catch weight. Did it 195 pounds. Now 195 ended up not working. They did a whole nether set of paperwork, made it 205 pounds, of which Paulo made. Point is, though, Marvin Vittori, there was no air at the scale because they got the paperwork in line, and there was also no 10% comes Vittori's way. So how much is Luke willing to play should he be put in that position? Paulo Acosta is a very dangerous guy. We can all agree to that. Paulo Acosta can crush you. He can hurt you badly at 185 pounds. If he's dangerous at 185, what do you think he is at 189. What do you think when he suffered down to 185, but now he's only suffered down to 193? I mean, it's a very real thing. I imagine that Luke already has a built-in mechanism, whatever that is. But whatever that is has to entail, don't come and put this on me. Your guys' idea was 185. You're the middleman, and you got him to agree to 185. I'm signing off on my part. What's the real number? What's the real number inside of Luke where he quits trying to look brave and he starts arguing towards professionalism, and he makes to do it for us, the audience, to be able to witness the match. What do you think it is, guys? Are you against me? Do you think he can do it? He can go ahead and get to 185. They get one pound non-title fight, so 186. Do you think he can do it? Or do you think the real number is about 191? Not just what Costa will weigh, what will Luke accept him weigh above the agreed limit and still go through with the contest. Give me your numbers. I'll set it there. You give me an over and under. Let's set the over under at 191 pounds. To close out today's show, there's been lots of talk this week about judging in MMA. And before I head out for the weekend, I want to weigh in on it. So, guys, I've alluded to a couple of times, and I've kind of beaten around the bush about it, an alleged meeting that is going to take place between judges of MMA and announcers of MMA. And I I very much, I've been very passive-aggressive to tell you guys, I don't think that meeting should take place. I've been very light on it. I've danced. Because I might be one of the people that's asked to go into this meeting, I'm certainly not going to go in there uh, rude. If that gets put on my schedule, I would show up. But if that gets put on anybody else's schedule, I think that they should show up. I don't push back. I'm just pushing back at the mere premise. First off, what would the point of that be? Let's just start with that. Is it so that the announcers that are that are broadcasting can make a better show? If it doesn't have to do with that, I'm going to question right off of Jump Street, what are we doing here? If it's not to do a better show, is it to do a more accurate show? Okay, great. And those, those two things aren't always the same. But fair is fair. And if you want to smart up the announcers that are speaking against the judges, so you want to get the judges together, okay. We don't have a problem yet. The problem is if it's the judges or the officials that are coming into the room with the announcers to get everybody on the same page right there, wrong. It is not the judges or the officials' set of rules. That came from the executive director. So if the executive director is to inform the judges, officials, referees, what-have-you, but the executive director is then removed and you now have the officials and the judges that influence the announcers, we're not on the same page, at least we're not on the correct page, which is the executive director's page who has been removed from the meeting. It's a very, it's very strange for me conceptually. And I have beat around the bush, and I have been very passive-aggressive about this, but now Dominic Cruz has come out and has talked openly that this meeting is supposed to happen. Daniel Cormier, passive-aggressively, went through something known as Twitter over the weekend and has said that he was looking forward to this meeting because he was looking forward to going to school. Why would Daniel have to be going to school? Why would Daniel have to be the one that's getting smartened up? Aren't we already approaching it from the wrong foot? If Daniel Cormier is going to this meeting and he's approaching it from the I am wrong, you tell me, Are are we not any more equals here? Daniel Cormier, who has been there and done that, would seem to me has just as much to offer the officials and the referee, who, by the way, it's not their set of rules. It's their interpretation of the executive director, who conveniently is not part of the meeting. That's weird. Now, a number of people have said, silly, it's very silly when they say, to judge MMA, you should have had to have done MMA. It's a very silly statement. To an objective person like myself. I'm just sitting back going, where where on else, where else on earth would that be true? Would the judge who's looking at an accused criminal for bank robbery, like, would the judge, to be objective and to be fair, would the judge at one point in his life had to have robbed a bank or had to have been accused of robbing the bank? See where it gets ridiculous? The doctor doing open-heart surgery, at one point in his life for him to be effective, would if he needed to have had open-heart surgery? I mean, do you see where this whole thing gets to be really ridiculous? Now, you are open to interpretation, and then you can always have your, your conversation back and forth, and we're never going to settle it. It's never going to go away if we're all going to just go ahead and, and get along because we sat the announcers and we sat a group of officials together and therefore what's said over the airwaves is a little bit nice and a little bit more friendly, that is true. That, that would achieve that. I'm just pushing back going, wait, I'm a viewer. I've seen every UFC except one. I missed one. Matt Hughes fought Carlos Newton part two. Never saw. Only UFC that I've ever missed. Possibly the only MMA that I've ever missed. But in all fairness, for right now in present time, there isn't a big pushback amongst the officials and the commentaries as is. There is not a huge pushback whatsoever. This is not some battle. I do feel that the announcers at times are making mistakes of sharing unofficial scorecards. I think it's a mistake. If you have three announcers up there that have an unofficial scorecard in the first place, and you're going into the third round and the first two and they all see it the same, it seems as though why are we even watching the third round? I think that it hurts the show, but it has nothing to do with the sport. That is purely from a production standpoint and that's purely an opinion of me. So that at the end of the night, if the third round does go round and the judges all have it wrong, now they've got to either admit, oh my gosh, I had it wrong, or they have to push back at the other people that saw it the other way, which are the judges. And so now you've just got human nature. So what? So you want to solve this entire problem? Quit having the announcers give their unofficial opinions. That would solve the entire problem. Now, if you think that that hurts from the show and you think that they should be able to do that, then we can have that conversation too. There isn't a make-believe scenario where the judges and the announcers are at odds right now. That is not true. The Holly home fight, just by example, was very close. It was hard to judge. The judges themselves did not agree with one another, which is why it was a split decision. It was very fair. It was very appropriate. If there's anything that will piss people off, this is from promoters to handicappers to fans to announcers, everybody alike is when you have a decision that is flathead scratching and absolutely nothing happens. That part is a little bit frustrating. Where all you got to do is get the people in the back, hey, we're going to review this, we're going to have a talk, as a matter of fact, we did, we, we watched it, we had it here, what, whatever it could be that just shows that there's some type of a justification and or a learning experience. And I'm going back 25 years, the only thing that has ever upset anybody ever is in the event that you have ones that are very obvious in one direction, they go the other way, and there's no review. That's the only thing that's ever upset anybody. In the moment, in the battle, in the heat, we don't all have to be seeing the same thing. It is true, historically speaking, that judges do not understand the effectiveness of a leg kick. That is true. That is a gripe that great leg kickers Chuck Liddell comes to mind. That's true where Chuck will land three powerful leg kicks that are the power of a baseball bat being slammed into somebody's thigh. Somebody else throws one punch, but it it gives some swelling. And the person that got a little drip of blood from the nose or a little swelling, but it was to the face and it was more visible will be scored better. That is true. That is a piece of human nature. But to make believe that a judge has to be represented in, in, in some regard or had to have some kind of a history or some kind of a background in order to follow the administrative rules, of which are very clear... That's not true. To make believe that there is a current phenomenon within our sport of push and pull amongst announcers and administrative personnel, that is an absolute fallacy. That's not true. And to make believe that a meeting should took place where the officials are going to tell the announcers their interpretation of the executive director's set of rules who is not present at the meeting, man, that's weird. That's wrong. That is a colossal waste of time. That meeting should not happen. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the show a five-star review. Also, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. So if you just can't get enough of me, you can find me on all of those platforms, and if you want another podcast, then make sure you're back here next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.